Now, as we continue our studies in the first book of Peter, we read this morning from chapter 2 and also chapter 3. We read chapter 2, verses 13 to 25, and chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation or manner of living of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, and of wearing of gold, or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, 
even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. And we know that God will add his blessing to this reading from his own inspired truth. We come this morning to think about Christian consistency. And I want to introduce the sermon this morning by referring to an incident that happened many, many years ago, even before Christ was born. It happened when the Greek Empire was the world empire, and Alexander the Great was the monarch or leader of that empire. On one occasion, a young man was brought before him, charged with desertion from his duties as a soldier. The penalty for it was court-martial, put out of the army. But when Alexander the Great heard the name of the young man, which was also Alexander, he asked why was the name given to him by his parents and the young man said, I was called after you because they wanted me to be like the king, the emperor, the ruler. And it is said that Alexander the Great looked at him and said to him, If you are going to be called by my name, you'll better change your behavior. For if you don't change your behavior, you'll have to change your name. Now Christians are called this because they are followers of Christ. Christians must be consistent in different spheres of living if they are to make an impact upon those who are round about them. They must be consistent if they are going to win others for Christ. Inconsistency in Christian living never achieves anything. Now Peter, in the passages that we read together, deals with four situations in life 
in which the Christian in particular must be consistent. But I trust that those who are unsafe will realize also the importance of being consistent in these very matters as well because they can be applied in a general way as well. Now, what are the four avenues of life wherein the Christian must be consistent according to God's Word? First of all, in chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, the Christian must be consistent in civil matters. Peter says that Christians must be subject to the laws of the land. Those laws that have been enacted for the moral, the physical, the mental, and spiritual well-being of the people of the land. In other words, Peter is saying there are laws that must be obeyed if you are going to be good citizens. And every Christian must be a good citizen of the country in which they live. Now, whatever the reservations people may have about certain things that the government bring in, the Word of God makes it very clear that the child of God must be subject to the powers that be. For Matthew 22, verse 21, tells us, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and render unto God the things that are God. You cannot separate them. You cannot render unto God and not render unto Caesar. And if you're rendering unto Caesar, you must render unto God. Now, when it comes to paying of income tax, when it comes to paying of motor tax, when it comes to paying of local tax, the Christian, because God's words teaches it, must pay his or her accounts. Because we have got to be subject to the powers that be. And I remember the late Pastor Orr, who pastored in the local Baptist church, saying this. We mightn't like paying our income tax. We mightn't like paying our motor tax. We mightn't like paying our local tax. We may grumble all the way to the office to pay them, but we have got to pay them because God's word demands it. There is no opting out of our responsibility as citizens in civil matters if we belong to Christ because the powers that be are ordained of God. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Now there is one qualifying principle that needs to be mentioned, that needs to be stressed, that needs to be understood, and it's this. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. 
if the law of the land comes into conflict with the law of God, then we must be subject to the law of God and not accept the law of the land. Because the apostle said, ye have got to obey God rather than man. And I can never accept the law that is passed that sets out to break the Sabbath day. And when the government enact a law that seeks to legalize many things on the Sabbath day, I do not have to accept that law. It's contrary to the word of God that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I do not have to fall into line with that law. There have been laws passed in sexual matters relating to activity between homosexuals, the lowering of the age of consent. Now, homosexuality is a sin that has had its origin in hell itself. And we can never compromise on that. We can never allow a standard that says a practicing homosexual can be a Christian. They're incompatible. For the word of God makes it very clear that those who practice this sin or the sin of lesbianism or whatever you call it, sexual morality, shall never enter heaven. And therefore they should never in any church be accepted in the membership. If God does not accept them in the heaven, no church on earth should accept them in the membership. And we cannot accept the law such as that. When it comes to laws that will prohibit the children of God going out into the streets to have open-air meetings or to meet in this manner. If a law was passed that said we should not do it, then we have the right to object and not accept that law because we have got to obey God rather than man. But I don't believe if we are not used to going out into open-air meetings, if it has not been our practice and the law is brought in that would forbid open-air meetings. I don't think we should go out deliberately to break that law if we haven't had open-air meetings before. We have got to be consistent when we turn to God's Word. You and I have got to be good citizens. And when the law of the land is there for the spiritual the moral, the physical, the mental, the emotional well-being of the people, then the law should be obeyed. When it is contrary to God's word, it should be rejected and resisted. But done in a way that's dignified and in a way that will bring glory to the Lord. In verse 17... In civil matters, although other matters are included, 
the Apostle Peter says there are four things that the believer has to do. The believer has to honor all men. In other words, give respect to them. We may not like what they do, but there must be respect for them. For as we respect them, we seek to win them. Then we must love the brotherhood. You know, this nearly seems like a 12th of July sermon, doesn't it? But long before they were on any arches, it was already in God's word. It's not exclusive to any laws, whatever. It's, for, it's the word of God we're thinking about. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. In other words, if you're a Christian, you should have a special love for your fellow believer. You should have love for all men, but for your fellow believer. Then you should have reverence for God. Fear God. We should have a holy reverence for God. And then we should honor the king or respect the ruler of the land. Because God has allowed them to be in that position, we must respect the office they hold. This is the teaching of God's word. We have got to be consistent in civil matters if we're going to make an impression upon those around us. When Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, was asked not to pray to God, he rejected that and he still prayed. But there were those in the kingdom who were his enemies. And this is what they sought to find, according to verse 4 of Daniel 6, they sought to find occasion concerning his affairs in the kingdom. They went out to see whether he was a good citizen or not. And we read that they found no fault in his behavior. And that's the standard for every Christian, and it should be the standard for every citizen. Now, the Christian must be consistent in civil matters. According to verses 18 and 20 of chapter 2, the Christian must be consistent in business matters. Behavior of the believer in business must be blameless. Now, it's often in the place of business where the Christian is tempted most sorely to do what's wrong. And very often in the place of business, it is there the Christian fails. And very often the finger is pointed at the Christian who doesn't do an honest day's work for an honest day's wages. They're known as the clock watchers. They're known as the boss watchers. And if the boss is there, they'll work. But if the boss is not there, they'll skive. And the finger is pointed at them. If that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. And then you will find that very often God's people, whether unconsciously or consciously, they take things from the firm that doesn't belong to them. And I remember a man, hearing about a man who worked in the shipyard and a man who was well known for his preaching 
but those who worked with him wouldn't go to hear him preaching because he had so much stuff taken from the shipyard to use in his house they said every time the ship's siren goes his house begins to sail <laughs> that much stolen from the place and it's a bad testimony because when you rob the boss the owner you're being robbed of your character whether you're saved or not another time when the finger is pointed at Christian business is when they stay away from work under false pretenses when they look for an excuse to be off work and they will send perhaps in a line to work or they'll send a message in the work and yet the reason they give is not a genuine reason it's a bad testimony and then you'll find often the selling of shoddy goods is a bad testimony advertising a good product and it doesn't live up to the name oh the Christian must be very careful in business and a Christian must never be dishonest in business dealings and yet very often it is said and it's not true in every case but often it is said I'd rather do business with an unsaved person than a person who's a Christian <coughs> for very often the Christian will engage in shady dealings that the unsaved man wouldn't touch and the late Harry Ironside the great Baptist preacher tells the story how that he spoke at a meeting concerning being honest in business and at the close of the meeting a young man came to him and said that really got through to me for he said I work in a shipbuilding place and I'm seeking to build a little boat back home and he said there are special copper nails that they use in the place I work that I use in my boat he said, I don't buy them. He said, I'm taking them. They don't belong to me. And he says, as you've preached about restitution and Christian honesty in business, he said, every word you said was like a hammer hitting a copper nail that I stole. He said, what am I going to do? And Ironside advised him to go and tell his boss. He went and told his boss, said he was prepared to pay for what had been taken. And the boss looked at him and said, I always took you to be a hypocrite, for I knew what you were doing even though you were professing to be saved. But he said, there must be something in your profession if you come back and admit what you were doing. There must be something in it, and I'm going to seek what you have. Oh, the influence of a good testimony in work. Tell me, Christian, what kind of testimony have you in work? Even to the unsaved, I would say, be honest in your business, whether you own it 
or whether you work for someone else. Consistency in civil matters. Consistency in business matters. Then there must be consistency in family matters. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And Peter, first of all, in verses 1 to 6, deals with a word of advice to the wives. And then in verse 7, to the husbands. And he says to the wives three things. He said, I want to talk to you about your attitude. I want to talk to you about your actions. I want to talk to you about your appearance. And he says concerning their attitude, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, I know that we live in the days of women's lib. But what Peter is speaking here about is not male domination. He is speaking about the place that has been given to man in the order of God's economy and word that man is the chosen head. That the husband is the head of the wife, the leader in the home. And in spiritual matters, the man's position is that of leadership. And that's why I can never accept women ordained as ministers because it's not taught in God's Word. Leadership in church and in home has been given to man. This is God's order. Whether people agree or disagree with it, this is the order laid down in God's Word. Adam was made and then Eve was formed. And the place of leadership has been given to man in the home and in the church. And so the wife, the woman, it's God's order that man leads the woman to be in subjection. And that is why I believe, and I want to touch on a subject that perhaps some people are truly anxious about, people are truly puzzled about, and it's this. How does a woman in public worship and in the meeting of the assembly or the church during the week in Bible study and prayer, how does a woman in a night word show this subjection? When we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read that the man is the head of the woman. The woman is subject to the man and she displays an outward sign of subjection and that is head covering. It doesn't mean to say that if a woman doesn't wear a head covering, whatever form it may take, that she's not subject to her husband or she's not subject to Christ. A woman could be subject to Christ and to her husband and not have a head covering, but what the apostles teach is this, that you give expression to this in an open way 
by head covering in the place of public worship and in the place when the church gathers together for prayer and Bible study. When it comes to the Lord's table, now people love the Lord and we say we love the Lord. Why do we gather around the Lord's table? It's to show in an open way by taking tangible things, bread and wine, and by doing that we express in a tangible way that we are remembering the Lord. I remember the Lord every day, you do. But here's a special way in which we do remember the Lord, by taking bread and wine. And that is why it is taught in God's word that women should give an open expression to what they already practice by the outward sign of a head covering whatever form that may take. And I trust when I come to a series of talks on problems that people face, I hope to deal with that in a fuller manner. But to me, it is taught clearly in God's word. And so the women to be subject, subjection regarding attitude, regarding actions, be chaste, be pure, and that also applies to husbands as well. And then in their appearance, who's adorning or whose apparel must be pleasing to God. When you and I go out to buy new clothes, now why do we buy them? Who do we buy them for? We buy them for ourselves, but who do we buy them for to please? Do you and I buy clothes to please ourselves, to please our partners, to please our families, to please our friends? What Peter is saying is this, that when a woman buys clothes and wears apparel, first of all, she asks God, are you going to be pleased by my and with my appearance? Now, over and above all, we have got to dress, whether men or women, whatever age, we dress, first of all, to please God. And if we please God, then everything else fits into place. We dress not according to the fashion of the world or the catalogs of the world. We dress according to the word of God. And if we please God, that's the main thing. And then he turns to the man and he said, Listen, ye husbands, I want you to remember this that you have got to honor or respect your wives. Your wife or your wives, he would say to them in general. And maybe as husbands, we all need to listen for a moment, myself included. Do we give to our wives the honor that is due to them? God has given them a place. They're prepared to take it. He has given us a place that we exercise it. And when it speaks of honor, what does it mean? It simply means that the husband is careful to minister onto his wife in order to meet her physical, her emotional, her spiritual, and her material needs. 
And if as husbands we are failing in this, then let us just forget for a moment about St. Valentine's Day cards and let us look at God's word and let us by God's help put into practice what God teaches us. And the reason why Peter speaks to the wives and the husbands is this, that your prayers be not hindered. You're both equal in the sight of God when it comes to grace. You're both saved by the grace of God. You're equal in the sight when it comes to grace. Now look, obey God's word so that you get the full benefit from your praying life together, that your prayers be not hindered. Then last of all, the Christian must be consistent in church matters. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3. Finally, be of one mind. Don't let there be any divisions in the church. Now tell me, let me ask you again as I asked recently. As you sit in church this morning, could you honestly go to every other person in the church and shake hands with them? Now could you honestly go and have fellowship with them? Or is there something between you and someone else in the church? Now, if there is, it's not according to God's word. We have got to be of one mind. We are not to be selfish if we're in this fellowship because Peter would say again, having compassion one on another, when there's someone in need, seek to help them. He would say, don't have hatred in the fellowship You've got to have love the one for the other. There's got to be no hard feelings between you if you're Christians because you've got to be pitiful or tender-hearted. He says, don't be domineering in your fellowship because he would remind us, be courteous and it means to be humble-minded. And he also says, look, don't adopt the attitude of the world, the tit-for-tat method. Don't render evil for evil, railing for railing. Leave your case with God. I wonder as a Christian, or as Christians, have we set out to get even with someone else who has wronged us? Peter said, this is not Christ's way. We have got to pray for them. We have got to bless them in order that they might be brought to Christ and Christians brought closer together. Only by obedience to God's word can we really know the blessing of God as individuals and as a church. Think again of Christian consistency in civil matters, in business matters, in family matters, in church matters. Let us sing in closing 583